I just learned the best spell of all. What's that? Sleep. totally on top of things. I'm a professional. <laughs> All right. So welcome back to my alchemical bromance. I am here today with Taylor Bell, who is a man of many hats. Uh, amongst those hats, he's a uh, tarot creator, and he's written for uh, the Peacock Goat Review. And he works for the Eye of Horus, which is a uh, metaphysical or occult shop in um, Minneapolis, Minnesota. So we're going to just kind of uh, get into, well, first, we're going to start with Taylor's origin story. Like, Taylor, what was your radioactive spider bite? Oh, man. Um, that's a good question. Uh, sometime back in high school, uh, a friend of mine was passing around a copy of LaVey's Satanic Bible. Uh-huh. And I think that was a moment where I was like, oh, maybe there's other things out there to consider, you know, other other types of philosophy or other types of um, ideas about the world. And that, you know, I didn't really pursue Satanism very much, but I did uh, end up finding out about Aleister Crowley and Gerald Gardner and all these other folks who kind of established uh, the Western esoteric tradition. And I sort of stumbled across it uh, by accident, and I've, I've been having a good time participating in it. Um, when you, uh, were you raised in a church or anything? Were you raised religiously? Yeah, I, uh, I was brought up Catholic. Um, uh-huh. my parents who weren't super ambitious about being Catholic, but they were both felt like, you know, we got to bring the kid to church, that kind of a thing. Uh-huh. Well, did that for a while and then, uh, stopped when I was around 12, I think. And that's, that's about the time I started considering other possibilities, things like atheism, things like other religions. Uh-huh. And, uh, really took a pretty hard atheist bent for a while and uh, just sort of threw all this stuff out the window and, and was like, oh, this is all nonsense. You know, all this religion, all this, you know, esoteric stuff, anything mystical, it's all just nonsense. And uh, it wasn't until college that I had some experiences that kind of led me to question those thoughts. You know, it's, it's like a process. You're always questioning yourself, right? You're always doubting yourself and always learning more and kind of developing as you go along. Right. Right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, like being raised Catholic, like I, uh, I have, I have now I have nascent follow-up questions on that, that I'm super curious about, but I don't know if we'd really be able to figure anything out, but like Catholicism, um, at least like the Catholic church fed so much of Western occultism. And Mm -hmm. it always makes me wonder if people who come to it from Catholicism, um, have, a different experience with the occult? Like, are there different branches? Like, does Solomonic magic appeal to you more than other stuff does or or something of that nature? But uh, that would be a difficult thing to discover by just interviewing one person. Um, I know that there are a number of ceremonial magicians who get way into, like, sort of the classical grimoire stuff and then convert back to various forms of Christianity, which I think is fascinating, too. Um... Yeah, and I've, I've kind of been feeling a lot of stuff in that vein. Um, you know, as I've kind of delved more into the occult stuff, uh-huh. I do. It feels to me like your whatever you're brought into or whatever kind of background knowledge you have of the world colors your experiences in that way. Yeah. So if you're raised Christian, especially Catholic, like like I was, you have these sort of predisposed assumptions about um, 
what that means, what the esoteric is, you know, calling it witchcraft, calling it black magic, whatever the deal is. Mm-hmm. And that I feel like does help to color the experiences that you have when you're actually doing that kind of work. Um, for instance, the first, you know, I, I mentioned the Satanic Bible, the first real magical working that I did was a Goetic Summoning. So, you know, what's oh, really? more than yeah, and, you know, that was a really half-assed kind of out-of-the-blue sort of experience, but it was it was interesting, and we, we got something out of it nonetheless. I did it with a couple friends. So it worked? I think so. It, you know, we didn't have any, like, physical manifestation, but the three of us did uh, channel words, and the other two people I was with had never done that before, didn't know what that was, and didn't know what to expect, and wow. we all just sat did the, you know, did the, the invocation and everything and really poorly, I might add, probably should have done a better job of it. But then we were in this circle, essentially asking and answering questions to ourselves. It was, it was bizarre, but all three of us felt like there was a presence there. And hmm. uh, the demon was a uh, Grimori or Grimory. I don't know how exactly how to pronounce that. Wow. That's, that's awesome though. Like that's a, that's an interesting start. I, I don't know. Actually, I have no idea how, you know, the the first ritual that most people do. I don't know if I can remember the first ritual I did, but I don't think it was goetic. <laughs> yeah. Um so so is there a particular sort of like a paradigm of occultism that you sort of fit into now, do you think? Ah, uh, the eternal question. Um <laughs> no. If I if I had to say no. Um alchemy maybe, but that's not really like like mm-hmm. you know, you go or medics or, or any of that kind of like deep uh, disciplined alchemy. I, I like the concept of alchemy, the alchemical process as sort of a, like a philosophical worldview. I see it very similar to um, Hegel's dialectic yeah. being that you have something that's broken down you create something new from that. And then that sort of uh, takes time to, to learn and develop and then become something complete, which is then broken down, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of fourfold idea lodged itself into my head and has been driving a lot of the things, a lot of the ways that I see the world recently. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think um, alchemy makes a pretty good kind of like uh, overarching paradigm for a lot of the occult stuff anyhow, right? Because it's all all about sort of um, transformation and like rectification of of something that's broken or misunderstood. I I think you see that sort of uh, that sort of theme occur a lot, even when you get into you know, sort of pre-alchemy stuff like Neoplatonism or even like some of the far out mystical stuff that doesn't seem to have anything to do with alchemy. You always have this concept of like, you know, this is how you repair your spirit and its communication with the divine or something of that nature. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, and that's, I, I, I would say, you know, I haven't really looked as far into it as I probably should, but I would say you could probably find parallels to it in almost every worldview. You know, in, in one way or another, it just seems like a, a natural sort of way, whether it's colored in the lens of the Negrito and Albedo and all that stuff or whatever it is, mm-hmm. it seems sort of a natural process that happens and people kind of pick up on it and, and have been using that for a very long time. Yeah, I don't know. That would be really interesting to look into because, you know, I, I'm sort of thinking like, I, I think Jung believed that for sure, you know, because Jung had that whole thing associating like alchemy with his psychological process. And I suspect that he probably... Uh, I'm I'm gonna sound like an idiot because I haven't actually read a whole lot of Jung, but he probably had this whole thing about how, um, you know, the the alchemical transformation fit into this whole archetypal 
scheme he was setting up or he set up. That'd be yeah, yeah. All right, so so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the Peacock Goat Review. So this is a this is a periodical that's being put out by um, by Aaron over at Charm the Water, right? Yep. And um, I've seen one issue, and it looked pretty good. It's it's sort of. Uh, sort of like medium to long form articles written by a collection of uh, occultists and s- such. Um, and interestingly, a lot of them are kind of like uh, uh, first time publishers or the, he, he doesn't seem to be going after like the big name writers, right. which I find really refreshing because the big name writer, you know, I mean, as much as it's great for, you know, people to make a living with writing, it's always even better to get sort of a fresh perspective on this stuff. And I, fe- I feel like the Peacock Goat Review is doing a pretty good job of that. Uh, how'd you get started with this? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think I had to remember here. Um, a while back, Aaron had sent me, or I, I bought one of the um, Solomon's Lotto books, which is a little chapbook that he published mm-hmm. um, about, you know, uh, using numbers. I think it uses the Higermantia to, calculate numbers for, for luck and for magical workings and stuff. Um, and I, I had opened it up and I noticed that um, in the, I guess this is sort of embarrassing, but in the square of the moon, he had written that there was 80, 80 squares inside the square of the moon. Mm-hmm. And I was just caught that right at the top and I was like, oh, well, it's 81 because it's, you know, nine times nine. So I sent him that and then he was like, oh, you know, thanks. You know, let me know if you find anything else. So we sort of developed this kind of professional relationship dealing around editing. And uh, at some point, I don't remember exactly. Oh, he he had asked me to write a piece for the first issue. So I I wrote it and sent it to him. And then I I was sitting down and I was working through it again. And I realized there was a lot of stuff that needed to be fixed and edited in my own piece. So I I, I fixed that and then sent that over to him. And he asked me to be the editor for for the magazine. So that's kind of what I do mostly. I edit through the articles, um, deal with uh, grammar and, and uh, punctuation, mostly punctuation and stuff like that. Oh, so kind um, of uh, copy editing. Yes, exactly. Yep, copy. Uh, yeah, proofreading and stuff like that. Oh, I didn't realize that you had that role. That's pretty cool. That's a that's a. You know, actually, I have to say that one of my biggest pet peeves uh, in the occult world, and even in like you know, I, I spend a lot of time doing Masonic stuff. Self-published people who don't have ah. anybody copy edit for them. Yep. Oh. Well, it's, it's tough, you know, because a lot of people don't, uh, they either don't think they need it or they just don't know where to go. And yeah. they end up with material that's, you know, good, good material at heart, but maybe not structured in a very professional way. And I think there's uh, a lot that can be done for integrity through copy editing or proofreading. Yeah, I think, um, I think that there's a lot. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people just... Um, if they don't have uh, the eye for it, they don't necessarily see that there are copy editing errors, but, uh, but anybody who's worked in publishing or writing at all, you know, we see it like it's, it's easy to spot. You can be like, Oh, nobody else has looked at this. They just, edit, they just threw it straight at a printer. <laughs> um, so, I, so I'm when I read sometimes I'm just like, Oh, this, this could be fixed, you know, but yeah. do I know. Yeah. Well, so anyhow, I'm glad you're doing that for them. And I'm glad that the Peacock Goat Review has copy editing going on. Uh, that's really <laughs> cool. And But you also, you've been writing for them. Yes. Uh, so I've written three articles so far. Um, having a hard time pulling up 
the original two, but the most recent one's called Wandering in the Moonlight. And it's, it's basically about that uh, yesode lunar initiation um, using the seven spheres material um, that we all kind of did last, uh, or I guess, almost two years, two and a half, well, a year and a half ago at this point. But yeah, it was, yeah. yeah, it was like a year and a half ago, October or something, wasn't it? Um, yep. There was a group of us, probably, there, there must have been like seven or eight people. Yeah, something like that. And we all did the lunar initiation or some version of the lunar initiation kind of around the same time. Um, and Aaron, Aaron had organized that as well. Uh, right. And I found that to be a really interesting experience um, simply because there wasn't a whole lot of structure. Like he just sort of brought everybody together, called it a lunar initiation and was like, okay, here are the correct times. Everybody just go <laughs> do your own thing. Uh yep. Which was cool. I used um, I used the Seven Spheres material to to put mine together, and possibly some other stuff, but I can't remember. I have to go and look through my my ritual notes. But uh, but how did you how did you do yours? Yeah, so uh, I also used the Seven Spheres book. Um, my, my buddy of mine had uh, cut off a piece of wood from a log that he had laying around, so mm-hmm. I took that wood burned it um, with the table of practice. I set that up on a cardboard box that I had laying around as a sort of impromptu altar. Still have mm-hmm. the cardboard box, actually. And uh, with some candles, you know, I did the whole the whole thing with that. I was probably a little more casual than I should have been. But, you know, it's, approaching this stuff, actual magical practice, has always been sort of weird to me coming from that growing up Catholic and then kind of turning into an atheist and sort of losing belief and all that stuff. Going back to it now, going back to magical work, you know, I, I'm – I'm sitting there lighting candles and reciting the, the the verses and, you know, calling on the names and doing all this stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, like, is this really going to work? Like, is this, you know, <laughs> am I doing this right? Am I doing, like, should I be say, saying these words differently? You know, like, should I be using a different language? All, all these things are rolling through my head. Like, maybe I'm not doing it right. But I did it. And I think that's all that really matters because a couple days later, um, I had there's a, a whole like string of coincidences that happened, but basically it culminated with getting an email saying that this store, the eye of Horus was hiring. Um, so that's kind of what the, my, my latest article is about is the, you know, the experience after the initiation and uh, all the strange things that led up to my, my current job, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, I don't know that, I mean, I definitely uh, had success with my working, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what effects it had in my life directly, but as far as my magical practice, I think it definitely helped me understand more about the importance of the moon. Like I've been paying way more attention to the moon since oh, sure. then. You know, like I. I'm usually aware of what phase it's in. I've started doing like, uh, I make lunar holy water every month during the full moon now and stuff like that. So like, it's definitely influenced my practice and increased my awareness, but I don't, I don't know that I had, um, kind of this, like, you, you know, you, you know, you had all these things happen in your life. Uh, like Aaron, his, he, he kind of like lots of stuff happened to him, <laughs> but we don't need to talk about that. Cause anybody can go listen to his podcast and get a, a full rundown of that. Sure. <laughs> Um, so tell us about the, the Eye of Horus, then. What was that like? Yeah, so... Um, uh, go ahead. No, no, I, I, that's my question. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I... You know, um, getting hired there was, was kind of weird because it took 
at least a month. It may have taken close to, yeah, it, was, it was about a month. Um, so I got, got this email just a few days after the initiation and I had just written an article um, or written a paper for a, a class at the time. I'm done with college now, but was back then. And uh, it was titled The Opening of the Eye because I had just heard, I think on Soraya Ascat's podcast, something about the word apocalypse being originally meaning the opening of the eye. So I basically wrote a paper about that, went home from school that night and saw the email from the eye for it that said, the eye is hiring. So I was like, there's this opening at the eye. <laughs> Blew my mind. And uh, <laughs> so I applied, uh, they sent a little survey, you know, to fill out this like, like a questionnaire, you know, testing what you know, um, submitted that. Uh, and then I got an interview, sat down, that went great. And I left the interview feeling really positive. I went home. Um, a few days later, I still hadn't heard back. So I went back into the store and the manager told me that they had decided to go with someone else. So I was like, oh, that's, you know, that sucks. But uh, I guess I'll keep looking for jobs. Mm. Um, I should probably mention, I had just been fired uh, a couple days before the moon initiation. And that was sort of my impetus for doing the ritual in the first place. Thinking I, I've got nothing left to lose. I'll just put this out here. So uh, I didn't get hired. And I was sad. Mm-hmm. And my friend came over and we, we made some pizza and he talked to me. He's like, you know, if you apply for a job every single day, you'll get a job by the end of the week. You'll get a job by Friday. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that's probably true. So I, I kept applying for jobs. And on Friday, I got a phone call from the eye that said that the person they hired didn't work out and they wanted to ask me in for, uh, well, basically as a second choice. And I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. So, uh, that's how I ended up there. Uh, working there itself is, is pretty interesting. I, I've worked a lot of retail and like food jobs in the past, um, mm-hmm. you know, like food and, and stuff like that. Um, and you deal a lot with customer service at those places and you deal a lot with all kinds of people. Cause the way I look at it is like when I worked at a sandwich shop, every type of person wants to buy a sandwich. Everyone likes sandwiches, right? You, you work at a movie theater. Everyone wants to see movies. You'll run into all kinds of people. If you work at an occult shop, you run into a very specific type of people. Um, yeah. It's a few categories, but, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see, um, like, for instance, I would say at least 80% of our clientele are women, which mm-hmm. is something I really expected. But we, you know, we have a lot of we do tarot cards, tarot readings. We have a lot of books. We have a lot of crystals and herbs and incense and all that kind of fun stuff. And, and we get all these wonderful people that, you know, are, are all on their own path. They're all kind of doing their own thing. And sometimes they'll come to us with, with problems. They'll, they'll walk in and be like, oh, I've got a ghost in my house. You know, I don't know what's going on. Like, uh, you know, the furniture's flying around and we're hearing voices at night and footsteps and yada, yada, yada. And so I point them directly to the sage and I say, okay, well, here's the sage. Here's the Palo Santo. This is going to be your, your number one bet. <laughs> and it's like trying to approach dealing with, you know, because, in my own personal life, I probably wouldn't necessarily go straight to Sage or Palo Santo if I'm trying to get rid of a ghost, but that's me. And, you know, most people who are coming in are going to expect some kind of a, a quick solution for something like that. Um, but it's just really interesting to kind of guide people into a whole new world, you know, to, to, to show people. Every day I, I get people who've never had a tarot reading before, and I get to show them what that's like. Um, you know, or I've never seen a Tibetan singing bowl, and I get to show them how to play one, and that, that kind of thing. You, all right, so you help people with, like, the sage and the Palo Santo and stuff, and you, you're showing people, so you're basically, like, 
introducing a lot of people to uh, occult topics for kind of the first time, right? So you're you're showing them all this stuff and it's their first exposure. Um, do people ever come to you with requests that aren't ghosts? Like, do you get requests sort of like, uh, you know, is there some spell I can do to to make a zillion dollars or can you help me talk to my dead grandma or something like that? Do you ever get interest, interesting requests like that? Right. Um, you know, we get, we get actually those two things specifically, a lot of ancestor work people come in looking for, especially for candles. Uh-huh. Um, money work. We often recommend candles and stones um, or different types of incense, different herbs. It's really tough for us to try to recommend spells or working specifically, unless we kind of have a background idea of what this person's sort of, framework is like what kind of worldview they, they participate mm-hmm. in. Um, but if I know that, like if someone comes into me, you know, comes into the store and they say to me, Oh, you know, I'm, I just started working with the Guisha. You know, I, I want to know like which demon would I contact for this? Then, then I, I have the resources there that I can help them figure that, that out. I don't, <laughs> I, I need to learn more myself about a lot of that stuff. But, um, you know, if someone comes in and they're asking like, Oh, um, I have this ex-girlfriend who I really want to talk to again, or I really want her to change her mind or something like that. <laughs> I, I try to recommend the, the right types of tools for them to use. Mm-hmm. Um, we also at the store every uh, full moon and every Sabbath uh, for the eight Sabbaths in, in Wicca, at least uh, we have a coven that comes in to use our, our space and they do a uh, free ritual so that um, members of the community come, can come in and participate in that Um it's pretty open kind of a thing. So that's it's, uh, one of the most interesting things I think about the store. Would you say that overall it has uh, like, w- would you say that most of the customers sort of have kind of a, uh, a Wicca, uh, do they mostly fall sort of in the realm of like Wicca and witchcraft sort of stuff? Or do you get a lot of uh, ritual magic people and ceremonial magicians or like golden dawn type people? Believe it or not, we get a lot of Hoodoo and Santeria um, people. Really? Uh, you know, yep, yeah, a lot of Corandero type um, folks, you know, folks doing root work, doing a lot of herb, herb magic. Um, we do occasionally get ceremonial folks, and that's usually my favorite customers that come in because they, you know, we, we can talk about the books and we can talk about, you know, the different stories and stuff, and I, I know what they're talking about. and. You know, when people come in with, uh, uh, there, there are a lot of people that are, that are Wiccan or that kind of ascribe to those types of um, magical practices as well. But it's all over the place. You know, we get people who, who um, work with Kemetic, the, the Egyptian gods, people that work with the Hindu gods, um, native people, you know, and, and, and shamans, different healers, uh, people that practice Eastern uh, religions, you know, um, things like Shinto and uh, also Reiki. Um, so it's, it's really, really eclectic, but, uh, you know, most, most of the people that come in, I would say don't really have a magical discipline. They, they're more, I, I, I probably, I would call them, you know, normal people or normies and, uh, probably <laughs> shouldn't, but you know, that's just how I feel. And, uh, you know, they, they, they can call in, them muggles. Muggles, yeah. yeah, there you go. They're, they're the ones looking for you know, their first tarot deck and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and they're always fun to talk to, but I, I do always pine for the people who who know what they're talking about and who can carry that conversation, I think. What's the uh, what's the weirdest uh, request you've had so far? 
The weirdest request. Um, let's see. I had a guy come in once that was not really requesting, but offering to um, make deals with the devil. He said all he needed was $50 and a catalyst. <laughs> not 100% sure what that means, but <laughs> we basically make our own deals with the devil. And uh, no, thank you. Um, there have been people who have uh, wanted us to do magic for them, like to, to do workings in their name. Uh, that's not something I am comfortable doing. Um, I don't recall. I think once or twice we've had people do a, like dress a candle and do a candle working for someone, but that's mm-hmm. more of a special occasion than someone that they know personally. Hmm. Um, trying to think of any other weird, weird requests. Um, we get a lot of requests for, books that I think are, are kind of odd, you know, um, like, well, like the Kybalion and the Necronomicon, stuff like that, you know, more, I don't know what you'd call them, not cheesy, but like half-baked magic, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, it's magic fanfic. To, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, a lot of people that will come in, you know, that are all about the, like, goth and doom and gloom aesthetic, and, and they ask about that type of stuff, and or, or, you know, uh, a lot of that, I guess. I'm, I'm trying to think of any other weird, weird requests. All right, hold on. Mostly, uh, yeah, go ahead. How about this? Who's the most famous occultist that's come into your shop so far? Most famous occultist that I've met? Yeah. Uh, probably would be the most famous, Paul Rucker. Uh, he's a, a visionary painter. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with Alex Gray at all. Oh, yeah. Um, so Paul is in a very similar vein to Alex's work. Um, they both do that kind of super colorful visionary art. Uh, we sell some of Paul's stuff, but he, he comes in frequently. There's also an artist who I think is an occultist, but I'm not 100% sure whose name is... Um, uh, what the I'm blanking on his name. It's... Uh, wow. I apologize. I, I guess he I doesn't want to be outed as an occultist on my podcast. <laughs> that's, a, that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he's famous in the area because he always, uh, in the winter, he always wears black. And in the, the summer, he always wears white and nothing in between. He's always all white or all black. Oh, wow. I can't remember his name. Yeah, it must be, must be some kind of magical intention. He doesn't want me spilling the beans. Yeah, that's um, okay. That's okay. We can we can just go back to spilling more of your beans. <laughs> For sure. Um, all right. Well, cool. So, so you got this job at the the Eye of Horus. Uh, I mean, I, I find I find it so fascinating. Like I, as much as I, never ever ever want to have a job, <laughs> I think working at a, at an occult shop would be really fascinating. Um, there's one in Portland that I've been trying to go to a little bit more often. And just the, the customers that I see in there, I'm always like, oh, those look like interesting people. I wish I'd had a chance to have a okay. conversation with them. <laughs> you know, I would say my favorite thing about working at the, at the store actually would be doing the back of house stuff because that's something I never really expected mm-hmm. the store to give me, but this opportunity for things like I'm, you know, before all of this, I'm a graphic designer. I'm a writer. I, you know, I'm a photographer. I do lots of art kind of stuff. And at the store, I'm able to kind of utilize those talents. Um, I help run our Instagram page. I help update our website, uh, put things on our online store, taking product photos, a lot of that kind of stuff. And, and doing like graphic design, creating flyers and posters. 
so it's it's been a really interesting opportunity for that and also for teaching. Um, I, I had the opportunity to teach classes. Oh, wow. Um, I, uh, I, I went to school for philosophy, so I have a useless bachelor's degree. But um, at some point, I want to teach, whether it be philosophy or, or magic or whatever. I, I just I want to teach people. And uh, I think that this is a really good launching off point for that. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, does your, uh, do you guys offer uh, various classes at the shop then yeah we have you know it's like uh learn to read tarot uh learn to um do reiki become a reiki master um you know uh learning about um for instance i think just this week we have one on the uh, spiritual roots of blues music uh we have a, a a guest that's coming in to teach class there but we have a few people that do classes like routine classes every few months like the tarot and reiki and then we have these guests that come in and do like a Q&A on a new tarot deck or on a new book. Mm-hmm. Um, do things. Um, I taught a class on sigils. Uh, we've got one coming up on Santa Muerte and uh, Santeria. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a, a really big variety, a very eclectic variety. But it's, it's, a, good, it's, you know, it's a good place to, to learn stuff. That sounds pretty interesting. So um, have you taught any classes aside from the sigil stuff? Or, or how did you, what, el- what else have you had your fingers in? Yeah, so the sigil one was first, and then I did one. Uh, these were basically super short mini classes we did for our 15th anniversary. Um, I did one on the elements and correspondences. So just a real brief, you know, here's the four classical elements. Here's some ways they correspond with, like, the cardinal directions and these other various things. And here's how you can use correspondences and magical workings. Wow. Uh, this one, I was teaching people, you know, um, different types of sigils, like chaos magic sigils, you know, creating sigils out of, like, letters and numbers. Um, creating sigils with magic square, you know, planetary squares, um, or uh, just uh, symbolic sigils, which is a style that uh, this person, uh, Laura Tempest-Sakrov, um, she wrote a book called Sigil Witchery, mm-hmm. and uh, it's all about creating sigils out of symbols. So, like, using rather than using the, the very alchemical symbols or very abstract lines, using symbols that are, are memorable, things you can create that you can look at and go, oh, yeah, I can pick these things out of it. And... Uh, that is kind of how I ended up making my tarot deck was using that method of uh, sigil creation, I guess. Yeah. You've shared uh, a couple images of your, of your tarot deck um, with me and it looks pretty cool. It's sort of like neon sim neon sigils, or I don't know how to describe it exactly, but how, how far have you come along so far? Yeah. uh, So the deck is basically done. I've got all the majors, where I want them. Um, I've got all the miners basically where I want them. I think there's a few more things I need to tweak. Uh, and then there's two versions. So there's the, the colored version that you're mentioning there. So basically, you know, over a podcast, the best way I can describe it, the cards are all black. And then in the center of the card is a, is a sigil essentially. And they'll usually um, reach to the edges. So um, kind of spill over. Uh, but the sigils are, are in color, you know, um, full color sort of rainbow gradients. Uh, the colors I chose to sort of reflect the color correspondences with the different symbols. For instance, if Mars appears on the card, then it's usually in red, and the things around it are probably in red. Um, the star card uh, has uh, a heptagram, and then on each of the seven points, it has one of the seven planets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then above it's a pentagram, and below it's a hexagram. So it's just sort of this um, trying to bring together those elements of the star as I see it, you know, the five, six and seven pointed stars, as well as the 
seven stars, the seven spheres, you know, kind of bringing all that together. So the colors on that card would then reflect each of the planets um, and, and makes the overall heptagram multicolored. So it turns out pretty cool. Uh, and then the other version of the deck is all black. So it's, it's glossy black on matte black paper. And I like that one the best personally. Wait, hold on. Are the, the symbols are all in black also? Yep. How? Yeah. So they're, huh. uh, yeah, it's UV spot printing. So it, it, the way that it, it shows when you're looking at it, you have to kind of move the card around in the light and the light reflects off the UV spot, but it is absorbed by the uh, paper, by the matte paper. So just the sigil kind of lights up under the light. So I, awesome. I jokingly say it's a candlelight, but, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see, I'd love to see that. So do you have a, are you going to be publishing it? Yep, uh, that's the goal. Actually, just before this, uh, just before we got on the call here, I was downloading the U.S. Game System Submission Guide. Um, so I'm hoping to get it published either through a publisher like Llewellyn or U.S. Games um, this year, or if those don't work out, um, I'm hopefully going to launch the Kickstarter in the summer. Um, yeah. But hopefully that'll work out. Well, you know, keep us posted because I'm sure you could get plenty of uh, Kickstarter support. Um, That'd be nice. Yeah, sure. yeah. And what do you uh, what do you have planned for the Peacock Goat Review next? Are you going to keep writing for them? Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to keep writing. Um, I really, you know, I really enjoy it. I also um, have some ideas. I need to talk to Aaron more about them, but I have some ideas for the design of the Peacock Goat itself, um, or for the magazine, I should mm-hmm. say, for the cover and for the inside pages and stuff. But that is something that I think would be uh, next September, next October-ish mm-hmm. um, for uh, volume two, so to speak. Did you, and then, uh, you know, so considering your your lunar initiation, have you um, continued working with the Seven Spheres system at all? I have. Um, so I did the lunar in September of last year, uh, late September, and then did Mercury in March, actually almost exactly six months after the lunar. Mm-hmm. And then almost six months after that, I did Jupiter. Um, and then, <laughs> then I did Jupiter again a couple weeks later because November 8th worked out better for Jupiter anyway. Um, and then more recently, I've, did, I've done Venus, and that was uh, November 16th. Mm-hmm. Um, Kind of has started ramping up and getting faster, and I feel like I'm going to do Mars in the next couple weeks here. Oh, so um, you did Venus like during that super brief little period, like after it came out of retrograde and before Mercury went retrograde or something like that. Exactly. Yep. It was like that that one day. I think Mercury went into retrograde that night or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I I was watching that really carefully too because I did a I did a Venus working that day also. So I was sort of like this this oh. has to be timed just right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that's interesting. And so have you, um, have had continued success? Like, is it, have you found that the, uh, you know, moving into each sphere, has it brought different things into your life? And the reason, the reason I'm asking this is because like, it sounds like your, your lunar experience in a way it, it brought you or it manifested through, uh, employment. And I wouldn't usually associate, uh, job stuff with the moon, but the moon is a gateway and your job has acted like this incredible gateway into all these other, you know, esoteric experiences. Oh, for sure. Well, and, and the interesting thing about the eye of Horus as a symbol, is it, as a sigil, yeah, it's the moon. There, there, 
It, right, exactly. The eye of Ra is the sun, but the eye of Horus, and, and the, the left-facing one is, is indeed the moon. Mm-hmm. So that was something I learned after I got hired, but it's like part of these, all these connections I was making afterwards. Um, with Mercury, I think that's really when, because uh, I had done a headless write right before I got the idea for the tarot deck. And then Mercury, by that point in March, um, everything had really started ramping up. And that period from March 21st until, oh God, I mean, honestly, until December of this past year, December 2018, um, was just so intense. It was so, so mercurial, very, very being pushed and and prodded towards that exchange and towards creating, you know, towards um, getting my degree finished up and and getting this tarot deck made, um, you know, getting test copies of it, uh, developing different relationships. Like it was just, I feel like I still have not stopped learning from Mercury, if that makes sense. And I feel like because of that, Jupiter and Venus have kind of taken a a backseat almost. Like Mercury's so powerful in my life that it's been stretching through these other experiences as well. But um, one thing that happened with Jupiter that I thought was really interesting, um, I I hadn't really expected this, but uh, so first off, I I was going through a pretty hard financial time back in early November, late, late October. Uh, and I had, um, uh, gotten some help from my, uh, parents who are, you know, parents typically are more Jupiterian, you know, being, uh, Jupiter's the father and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I had had this moment in class in, uh, mid September, right after I did the first Jupiter ritual where a student, uh, a fellow student in the philosophy department was making a lot of comments in class and was being like dominating the conversation and taking this off topic uh, and just doing all this stuff that I was looking at and going, wow, this guy reminds me of myself two years ago. You know, he, he's clearly not full of himself necessarily, but he's, he's clearly proud of his ideas mm-hmm. and, and, you know, he's, he's sharing them too much. And so I, I took him aside, we were on a smoke break and I took him aside and said, Hey, you know, here's, here's what I'm seeing you, you know, kind of doing and, and here's how I'm feeling about it and how the other people are feeling about it in class. Like I can tell that they're also put off. People are not raising their hands and aren't talking because this guy is dominating the conversation. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I had this moment where I, I felt like a father figure. I felt like Joe sitting there, you know, uh, calmly I inside my heart was throbbing and I was like, I can't believe I'm confronting this guy. I'm not a confrontational person at all, but like it was, it went very smooth. He, I think really took it to heart because he changed the way that he was um, communicating in class. And, and that night he, I had sent him an email afterwards because I felt like I, some of the things I said came off a bit harsh and I, I just apologized and, and told him like, you know, I, I appreciate him being in class and I definitely hope that he continues to come and continues to speak up because after the conversation, he didn't return to class that night, but, uh, things, things got better over the last or over the couple weeks after that. Um, but it was just this weird moment of feeling like Jupiter and, and feeling like just all of that all at once. I think it was actually the, the day before I did my first Jupiter initiation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, in my experience, some of the planets, you know, I think every individual person has different planets just sort of resonate better with them. And it could just be mm-hmm. that, like, you'll you'll have 
easier or more luck with certain planets, or maybe the the experience will stick with you more or something. So, you know, maybe the fact that like you haven't stopped learning from Mercury, I mean, I think that's a good sign. And maybe it's just there, you know, you have a good connection and it's just going to keep happening. And maybe the, maybe the father figure thing with Jupiter, like maybe, maybe that's something that you, you know, I mean, the fact that it felt so alien to you, maybe it's just something that you have to learn to accept into yourself over time. Like, you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm just making stuff up. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that um, it's interesting that you had that, that experience where different planets have either like felt like they've taken a backseat or other ones have sort of come forward more strongly. Like that's that's definitely something to pay attention to. You, you want to know what happened with Venus? Yeah. Oh man! So I burned a candle for it. Burned a green candle at a we sell at the store. It's a heart chakra candle, mm-hmm. so it's it's green. It says heart on it. Figure, oh, this is perfect for Venus, right? So I did that, and like two or three days later, uh, I started having um, not heart palpitations, but called atrial fibrillation. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, when your your heart rhythm goes out of sync. So I ended up in the hospital um, dealing with that, and I've had that kind of going on ever since and uh, found out that I've got something called an AV block, an atrial ventricle block in my heart. So uh, two days from now on Wednesday, I'm actually going into the cardiologist to get that looked at. But uh, that, uh, I, was, I was definitely expecting something more relationship-based, and uh, <laughs> nothing like that showed up, but my heart definitely started giving out. So you had... Literal heart magic, literal heart yeah. stuff happened from Venus. That's, man, that's just not cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, ho- hopefully it's, uh, you know, I think, I think so this is complicated, but one of the reasons I, I did Venus in the first place was um, because I couldn't really decide which between Venus or Mars would help me do better with my habits and behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trying to kind of break down a lot of the habits that I've had and, and form better habits. And uh, so I, you know, I, I said to Venus when I did the initiation, I said, okay, well, kick my ass, but please be gentle. Like don't, you know, don't kill me. <laughs> um, but I think what, what this has given me is sort of an opportunity to realize that I need to uh, eat, health, eat healthier, number one, uh, exercise more, take care of myself better, you know, sort of, Oh, an awakening of that type, you know, of like, oh, I probably shouldn't just sit at my computer every day all the time. Right. Because it's probably not good. You know? <laughs> yeah, I totally know. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's interesting. Well, it'll be interesting to see. So you've just got, what, Saturn left? Saturn and the Sun and Mars. Oh, and right. Mars will be pretty soon. And uh, I think my plan is to do the sun and then immediately do Saturn and then immediately do the black sun. And that's a sort of eighth initiation that I've created based on the other seven. Okay. That'll be interesting. Yeah. I, uh, when I started working with the seven spheres stuff, I started with Saturn. Oh, okay. How was that? (laughs) Uh, it was, it was good. I honestly probably shouldn't have, uh, you know, he talks about it in the book. He's like, be careful with Saturn. Um, but me, I've been doing, you know, I, I've I already had so much experience with with stuff. With, I was sort of like, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna do Saturn first because I feel 
like I've got a good relationship with Saturn. I don't, you know, Saturn doesn't like scare me. You know, I have a, I don't, this, you know, my my view of it isn't as negative and weird as um as it should be, perhaps. But uh, it was fine. It was fine. It was. It was. It, I I learned more going through some of the other stuff. So I need to go back and revisit the Saturn stuff. Uh, and I've been looking for some good opportunities to do that because Saturn's in a pretty potent spot right now. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Especially this split on the fifth. I think. Uh, was it? I don't know. I mean, it's you know, it's in um, it's in its domicile or its exalt. I think it's in its domicile right now. So it's gonna be it's gonna be there for like a couple of years. It'll be fine. It'll be good. Oh, okay. Yeah. Did you, uh, so you didn't have anything crazy happen, like any like deaths or anything like that? No, no, nothing crazy. Nothing crazy. It all, it, it all went smoothly. Um, yeah, I have to say that none of the planetary initiations that I've done have really created anything super crazy. Um, it's all been pretty... It's all been good, and it's provided a lot of insight, but I haven't had anything super wacky happen. That's probably for the best. Yeah, I'm happy with it that way. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's that's. Uh, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing more about your other planetary initiations as they happen. But although it sounds, it's probably going to take you another couple of years. And so the the Black Sun initiation. How did you How did you come up with that idea? So uh, one of one well, one of my favorite customers that's ever come into the store. I can't say his name, but he is. Uh, an occultist and uh, just a really, really interesting guy. He's been all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, he introduced me and a couple of my coworkers to the idea of the Black Sun, which I'd never heard of. Um, are you familiar with that at all? I don't think I am. So it's a concept that gets a lot of bad reputation all over the place because it, um, you know, it's like tied to um, tied to the SS and other stuff like that. But it actually predates a lot of that stuff and goes back pretty far. And the way that I look at it, are, you know, um, uh, have you read, uh, well, book four by Crowley? I have not. I've seen it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So there's, uh, in, in the first book in book four, it's just called, uh, I think it's just called Meditation or, or Mysticism. Yeah, Mysticism. Uh, it talks all about meditation. And so he goes through the different aspects of, um, like, you know, the asana posture, the pranayama, like breath control and all these things. And, and you get to the end of it. It's uh, this term that I think is uh, samadhi or samadhi or something like oh, that. Samadhi. Um, yeah, samadhi. And that concept uh, Crowley describes as basically the inverse of, um, I can never remember if it's dharana or dhyana. It's the one right before mm-hmm. it. Where basically that essentially, essentially like the platonic idea of the sun being the perfect form of the good, that type of thing. So you've, you've reached that sort of, you're looking at the sun, you're looking at God, you're, you're meditating on perfection at that point. Mm-hmm. Is the inverse of that. So it's, it's everything that, that everything that that came from. So looking at the universe, you know, uh, if you imagine um, the universe is, is infinitely big and infinitely, um, full of matter and stuff like that. The the inverse of that would be where it came from. Would be the the void that it came from. So that essentially is black sun. Ah, hmm. Well, that sounds yeah, interesting. It is interesting. It's really. 
dense and there's so many different interpretations all over the place that it's hard to really see like, Oh, okay. This is what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like every, everyone's got their own spin on it. Mm-hmm. Well, I suspect that as you get closer to it and as you work out the ritual a little bit more, you're going to probably solidify your approach to it and then um, probably get way into it. That's the goal. That's, yeah. Well, and we'll see what happens after the seven spheres are done too. Cause I, I've been really drawn to the elements lately. Like I really want to do elemental initiation mm-hmm. and I don't know exactly how I'm going to set that up or what kind of text I might borrow that from, but it just feels like something I should do. Like, you know what I mean? Like do a, a fire, fire initiation or an air initiation. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I've actually, okay. I've, I've gone through, um, I've gone through most of those, uh, through my practice also. Okay. Uh, yeah. And you know what? The advice that was given to me when I was thinking about doing that, I was talking to one of my teachers and I was like, I don't, I have no idea what sort of ritual to use. And he, and then, um, and then I had this really weird dream and I went and talked to him about it and he's like, Oh, look, that's your initiation. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, take <laughs> that dream, turn it into a ritual and that's your initiation. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> so maybe it'll just come to you. Maybe it'll come to you in a weird dream. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I had uh, one dream before that I would I would associate with the planets at least. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't you know not elemental in nature, but it was just the weirdest thing. I I was driving in a car with a couple friends. We got into a neighborhood, stopped the car, got out, and I looked at the sky and I saw what my mind said. Oh, that's Jupiter. Or no, sorry, I, I saw the moon first. So I'm I'm looking up at the, at the moon and it's like this crescent moon, right? But there's two of them, inverse like opposite each other, almost like a yin-yang or um, like the, uh, I think of it like the two of discs and the two of coins mm-hmm. in the tarot. Um, so it was like this weird double moon thing. And I'm thinking, oh, the thought that ran through my head while I was in the stream was the moon, singular, looks beautiful tonight. And I, I looked to the left of the moon and I saw what I thought was Jupiter, except it was enormous. It was like, if you looked at the full moon in the night sky, it was at least 10, 15 times that big. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just massive glowing blue and green iridescent figure, you know, this weird circle. And, and my brain said, Oh, that's Jupiter. Then I woke up and I immediately thought, a, that was not the moon. That was two moons and neither of them looked quite right. And B, that was not Jupiter. It couldn't have been Jupiter. Jupiter's not that big and Jupiter's not blue and green. Jupiter's like red and, and white and brown. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. It was just, it blew my mind because I feel like that was sort of, uh, that was after the Mercury initiation and before the Jupiter. So it was that feeling of like, okay, well, here's here's some colors that are coming to me. Here's the context with, you know, I've got this this moon going on that, you know, brings forth like uh, imagery of my first magical initiation. So maybe maybe I should do Jupiter next. And then seeing the green in there is part of what led me to do Venus as well. So I'll keep an eye on my dreams. I'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah but, I uh, think you yeah. can get a lot of interesting insights there. That'd be, that'll be cool to to learn about and keep up with well you know uh so you said so do you have any sort of like online presence that people can come and follow you and follow your work so they can you know keep in keep uh, abreast of your upcoming tarot stuff and your and your articles that are going to be coming out i probably should do more work on that um sigilarcanum.com as s-i-g-i-l-a-r-c-a-n-u-m.com mm-hmm. uh that's where Posting stuff about the tarot, but I haven't updated it since last fall because I was busy finishing my degree. So now I'm getting back into the 
the flow of things there. Um, the Peacock Goat review you can find on charmthewater.com. Okay. Um, so charmthewater.com, and there's a little link at the bottom that says Peacock Goat, and that brings you straight to the uh, listing of all the issues and subscriptions and stuff. Um, ideally, that will be where all that stuff is uploaded. I think uh, Charm the Water Patreons can, can get access to the digital copies each month. Um, and then uh, Aaron also wanted me to uh, let folks know um, about submissions. They can, if, if they're interested in writing for the magazine, uh, to uh, send their submissions to him, which is uh, charmthewater at gmail.com. Okay. Um, and then I think uh, basically anything between like a thousand and two thousand words is what he's looking for on you know topics of the esoteric and the and you know the occult or paranormal from the writer's perspective, kind of from their own experience and knowledge, um, so that we can bring together various perspectives and, and different opinions and different ideas. Okay, that sounds great. I will definitely include all of that stuff in the show notes. Um, oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, this has been a this has been an excellent conversation very enlightening i like the i really liked getting your sort of like insider view of all of the different stuff and how the the experience you've had is so closely tied to um sort of the uh the magical work you've been doing i think that i think that points to a a long and powerful um path ahead of you unless you know the next planet just makes your heart explode <laughs> Which you never know. I guess it could happen. It could be another. It could be another uh, Oregon too. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Well, hope, hopefully it all will uh, work out smoothly. But I'll keep you updated. I'll, I'll let you know how it goes. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, Taylor. This is this is a lot of fun. <laughs> Oh, man.